Wonder Things Studios proudly presents a special episode of the Roundtable Podcast. 20 Minutes with Kat Richardson. Hello, literary alchemists. I'm Dave Robison. And I'm Heather Welliver. And you've tuned into a special episode of the Roundtable Podcast, 20 Minutes With. 20 Minutes With is a chance to meet with talented, established creators to hear about their process and pick their brain for ways to improve our own endeavors. Indeed, always in this quest for literary gold. That is our goal, always, always, always. Dear friends, I am so delighted to introduce you to my co-host for this episode. Heather Welliver and I have been circling each other since about three years ago at Balticon, right, Heather? That's right. Yep. When I first got into the whole podcast scene, before I started actually doing it, when I was listening, one of the first things I listened to was Cybrosis by PC Herring. And Heather voiced the primary, the, the protagonist of that story so magnificently, it literally made the whole experience for me. So Heather... Ma'am, I am so utterly delighted, squee-worthy, in fact, to have you sitting in the virtual co-host chair, man. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure. I'm blushing. Thank you for having me. This is so exciting. <laughs> it is. It is for me, too. And and Heather, just out of curiosity, what what uh, what's your libation of choice this evening as we prepare to launch into some awesomeness here? Oh, man, I wish I could give you a more fun answer, but I'm just drinking water tonight. <laughs> Spoken like a true vocal professional. Me too, ma'am. Me too. Well, I'll tell you what. You sit back, you relax, take a pull on your water, uh, uh, and let me introduce you to our guest host for this episode of 20 Minutes With. May I? Yes, I'm so excited. Uh, you and me both. You and me both. Okay, so friends, even though her father was an English teacher, and her stepmom got her hooked on adult mysteries at an early age. As a child, our guest host always wanted to be a singer or a dancer or perhaps an ice skater. <laughs> the idea of being a writer wouldn't actually pop into her head for years yet. Now, it's not that she wasn't writing stories. Her first story was written for a class when she was eight years old, and she would continue to write and write and write all the way into college and beyond. It's just that at that exact same age of eight, she was rocking the theater vibe too. Now, look, quick sidebar. Friends, I swear to God, I don't go looking for guest hosts with backgrounds in theater. I don't. I swear. It's it, Apparently, it's a natural fact that 82% of all successful writers have some theater background in their curriculum vitae. It's not my fault, but you got to admit, it is kind of awesome because everybody on the call right now has a theater background of some kind or another. Um our guest host was very serious about rocking the performance scene, and it would permeate much of her life, spending a year, for example, as an orphan, I'm assuming someone named Annie, uh, a stint as a singing nun, uh, 13 years as a Renaissance Fair actor, dancer, and costumer at the Renaissance Pleasure Fair in Agoura, California, uh, not to mention pursuing casual ballroom dancing and English and country dancing as well. In fact, she would actually teach those styles of dance in classes later on down the line. But through it all, 
stories were part of her life. <laughs> and a lot of those stories were very pulpy. Uh, she was into mystery, science fiction, fantasy, romance, adventure, even westerns. And she was good with words, which made academia a lot easier. But the idea of getting published... Tosh, she wasn't good enough, so she thought. Uh, that way lies pain and disappointment. Uh, better by far to pursue a career as a singer, which is a much more stable and responsible career choice. Pause for laughter. Uh, <laughs> and friends, I got to tell you, I actually got my theater degree before I realized the professional mayhem I was inflicting on myself. Our guest host, on the other hand, was much more savvy. Uh, though her love of music and dance and theater never faded. By the time she finished her stint at CSU Long Beach, she chose to leverage her passion for the written word into a degree in magazine journalism. And then... As the cyber age told the death knell of magazine journalism, I can see our guest host standing in the rain shouting, Really? Really? And shaking her fists at the capricious cruelty of fate. However, showing the resilience and adaptability of a true survivor, she would persevere, plying her literary mojo as a writer and an editor in the computer industry, as a technical editor for Microsoft, a course writer for the Gemological Institute of America, and even writing for computer games and RPGs. Uh, she was very active in the Through the Looking Glass forums, delighting in writing What If fanfic, which uniquely qualifies her to be a guest host on the roundtable, by the way. Uh, when projects came up, she volunteered, and sometimes she even got paid for the work. Uh, she's even written the script for a film titled The Glove, released in 2003, about a video game glove controller that actually sucks your soul. Now, <laughs> Heather, do you hear that? That's the yeah. sound of a hundred RTP fans logging frantically into Netflix to try and find that movie. <laughs> and I'm right behind them. Uh, okay, now, when she was around 34, something very simple and very profound happened. Her passport expired. Yeah, big deal, right? Well, 10 years before that, when she had actually applied for that same document, she had put writer as her occupation. Now, the need to reaffirm the document and her stated profession became a catalyzing moment for her. And she resolved, by God, she would be a writer. She describes the process as, and I quote, Hell without shoes, mm -hmm. an alley strewn with broken glass with demons and fire, unquote. Uh, she was wow. sending out queries left and right, making all the mistakes, fixing those mistakes, making different ones, fixing those. Because, you see, back in 2000, she had written a draft for a novel about a P.I. who could talk to the dead. And... It sucked, but she rewrote it and kept working at it. And she kept querying agents and publishers until one day, a Tuesday to be precise, she got a voicemail. Now, she was working at Microsoft at the time, and they didn't allow their staff to have their cell phones on in the office. So she was heading home on a noisy, crowded bus checking her voicemail. And she hears... Just 
She can't hear shit on the bus. So, so she plays it again, and she catches the word manuscript. Uh, and that's it. That's all she can hear. During oh, the no. entire commute home, she's playing and replaying this oh. message, trying to figure out what the hell it's saying. Finally, she gets home, and when I say gets home, she gets home to a boat, which is where she's living at the moment, and discovers it's a message from Jabberwocky in New York requesting her manuscript because they'd like to represent her. Now, she's jumping up and down, which on a boat is really not such a good idea, but hey. Uh, uh, And she stays up all night because her husband is working a swing shift, and she literally wants to tell him as soon as he walks through the door. And then they're both jumping up and down, and it's a wonder they didn't capsize and drown. Uh, But sometimes fate is kind, dear friends, and it seems it had plans for our guest host. It took several years, but Grey Walker, book one, was released by Rock Books, a division of Penguin, in 2006. Since then, eight more books in the Grey Walker series have graced bookshelves around the world. Not only that, but her shorter fiction has appeared in several anthologies, including Mean Streets, Unbound, Urban Allies, Wolvesbane and Mistletoe, and more, including the soon-to-be-unleashed Shadowed Souls, with her writing appearing alongside such urban fantasy icons as Jim Butcher, and Charlene Harris. Some people would say she's keeping good company, but here at the round table, we think it's Jim and Charlene who have shown the discerning taste in literary compatriots. Uh, friends, she has kept every spiral notebook, legal pad, loose sheet manuscript, and floppy disk or CD she's ever put a story idea or excerpt on. The stack apparently currently weighs in at about 50 pounds. She bought her first TV in 2011. Yes, she missed Buffy, but she did not miss but Firefly, so she's okay. And... By all accounts, she's related distantly to Mark Twain. Dear friends, please welcome to the big chair here at the round table, Kat Richardson. Kat, holy crap. Uh, uh, that, that, that journey of, of, of destiny and fate, cruel or otherwise, is an epic saga. I am so delighted that we were able to find some time to sit down and share some writerly discourse, ma'am. Thank you so much. Holy crap! Where did you find all that? <laughs> I have minions. Minions, I say. <laughs> oh my god. Those are some hardworking minions. It's uh, really cool to be here. <laughs> well, it's all in the interwebs, I'm telling you. Uh, uh, any, any egregious errors? Is there anything that like was totally wrong about that? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> good, good. It's actually kind of shocking there. Uh, I, I thought you were going to miss the novella for a second, but no, you got Mean Streets. Um, so you're yeah. good to go. Awesome. We're just going to have to ask you to leave your house so our team can go in and sweep the bugs uh, out later. Um, but but cool. All right. Look, before we dive into this, Cat, uh, uh, I've got a question for you. And this doesn't count as our 20 minutes. Um, but I was reading, and I, I, I'm sorry, I got I to gotta bring this up. You had, in a blog uh, interview you had with Jerry Smith Rady, uh, uh, you had stated that you hate writing sex scenes, <laughs> which is why you never do them. What's up with that? What is it about sex scenes that, that just drive you up a wall? Well, they're they're difficult. Um, also, something I discovered after having written a few and gotten feedback was that the the standard of male gaze is such that when a woman writes a sex scene from a woman's point of view, you'll get a lot of complaints about how bad it is. 
Interesting. And I'm like, yeah. And like, uh, you know, I'm just going to skip that because I'm much better at violence. (laughs) 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 And that's really sad because, you know, everybody should have good sex in their lives, but really nobody should have violence. Yeah, really. But then I guess, you know, writing that's I, I really I find that fascinating I'm not gonna like worry this like a sore tooth or anything uh, but just just that notion because I find I, I'm, I'm with you I find writing a good sexy I, I mean, we can all write erotica for our own selves but in terms of feeling comfortable and releasing it out into the world uh, that's a different vibe altogether uh, uh, and apparently you got feedback that 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 led you to feel that that this is not something you wanted to pursue huh well, I'm just not very good at it. Um, I go overboard. I write too, you know, too explicit, or or I'm too uh, I'm too delicate and flowery. And <laughs> and uh, actually, we've got a project in the works right now, and I was very nervous about it because it opens with a, a kind of weird sex scene, so you understand the character's uh, motivation for all the weird shit that happens next. And I was very nervous about it, and I showed it to my agent. She's like, oh, this is hot. I was like, oh, uh, okay. Awesome. Very cool. See? Just keep pushing the boundaries. Keep pushing the boundaries, Kat. That's awesome. Yeah, it only took 20 years for me to be able to write a sex scene that does (laughs) total crap. (laughs) The value of perspective, right? Yes. <laughs> That's awesome. All right, enough enough talking sex scenes. Let's let's dive into this. I am keen to start our 20 minutes with Kat Richardson. Woo-hoo. So I'm going to go ahead and start the clock. And and we will, of course, ignore it because that is the clock's lot in life. <laughs> but uh, but we, it, we, we, we must observe the forms. So uh, let's dive into this. Kat, uh, uh, one of my first questions for you is actually derived from uh, a great interview you did with Buzzy Mag. Uh, back in 2014, you had stated that uh, uh, you've challenged yourself as a writer to write a different book each time in the Grey Walker series to do something new with the characters or the format or the story in a way that's always challenging yourself. And I realize that challenges are different for every writer. I don't expect you to speak to the broad challenges that every writer faces. But I think it would be fascinating for our listeners if they could get a feel for what some of those challenges you had set for yourself were and and what that process was that you went through to overcome them. Well, first I looked at, you know, we had an arc and I said I didn't want you know, everything to be exactly the same, you know, with uh, the monster of the week. And so I thought each book is going to be written with a slightly different, you know, kind of twist with a a slightly different structure or attitude. And so the first one was, you know, the standard PI novel. And then we got to the second one, which was, you know, the ghost story. And then the third one was what we happily referred to as the monster in the sewer book. (laughs) <laughs> and then uh, then we had missing persons then we had self-discovery you know and things got weird and we had travelogue and travelogue you know, really yeah yeah it was sort of like i'm gonna write you know kind of a, a spooky weird travel story and how fun is then, that um, that's awesome yeah uh well i was partially inspired by richard k morgan's takeshi kovash novels because each one had a very different structure the you know, first one was very much kind of the noir detective, hard-boiled detective, and and then there was, you know, the space adventure, and there was one that really kind of bordered almost on being like a Western, except there were no Western elements, but the structure was really similar. And I thought, well, heck, if, if Richard can do it, so can I, which, <laughs> well. <laughs> uh, the 
think the hubris of the modern writer, yes. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I didn't always pull it off. But every time I did something, I wanted to do something that was different. And I wanted to do something that I felt I wasn't great at and to to make myself overcome some challenge. And sometimes I didn't do such a great job, but that was always there was push yourself not necessarily in every single category, but at least pick something and focus on doing a better job on that this time than you've ever done before. Sure, absolutely, absolutely. I think I think that's the only way to improve your craft. Um, I'm curious, was were, were the challenges that you were pursuing, were they driven more by the narrative of, of Greywalker or were you actually looking outside of the Greywalker vibe and, and looking at other writers, as you described, and looking for, for ways to, uh, or examples of, of other writers who you admired that you could then incorporate into your own writing style? Oh, both. Okay. Um, there were, there were places where I looked at stuff and I said, I'm not comfortable with this. I'm going to try and do that. Or I do this, you know, in a half-assed way and I want to do that better. And then there were writers that I definitely wanted to kind of do a take on. And most prominently, because my background is originally in in mysteries. And one of my all-time favorite writers ever, ever, ever is uh, Dashiell Hammett. (laughs) And I I actually, I kind of ripped Hammett off a little. um, Book six, uh, Downpour, is um, very loosely based on the, the structure of... Dashiell Hammett's Red Harvest. Oh, very cool. The other challenge that I wanted to ask you about was one that uh, uh, apparently when you were first conceiving of the Grey Walker series, you were looking at a five book arc and you ended up yeah. writing nine. Uh, so uh, that, that challenge of going from book five when you thought you were done uh, uh, and pushing out beyond that, that had to be scary. There was kind of a, a hitch in that when we first started, and I say we because, you know, actually it was my agents right. and I was just along for the ride. Of course, when, of course. you know, we <laughs> went out shopping the book, initially we got an offer for one book and then another offer came in for two books. And so they started kind of pitting these publishers <laughs> against each other and finally got up to three books. And it was like three books, but I got, I got five books. And they're like, no, we only want three. And so I thought, okay, I got to retool. I got to start thinking about ways to make this work in a three book arc without it being a trilogy and yet leave it open so that if they want more, we can continue. And so, you know, they said, yeah, let's do some more. And I said, okay, I got two more. And they said, well, we really want three more. And there, <laughs> I had that big blank thought bubble over my head going, what the fuck? And I'm trying to think, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And how am I going to hook this together? And that was the point at which I came up with the idea of these long intersecting arcs that um, kind of overlapping arcs that eventually turn into a full cycle. Nice. And so there's, there's actually like three overlapping arcs going on inside the big nine book arc. And the wow. end of nine actually reflects the beginning of book one. Wow. Ooh. See, and it sounds like you planned all that. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? There was a point at which I did start planning it. But initially, I was just, and, and I have told people, oh, yeah, I had a whole arc in mind. Bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> Every once in a while, you got to smear a little bullshit around. Sure. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I was. You know? Well, and, and, and as a plotter, 
and and as a confessed plotter, I think I think I remember reading about you. Uh, uh, the the notion of going off into the wild blue yonder with a story uh, must have been very disconcerting. So you so you sat down and you said, no, we're going to map this out and and create these these interwoven arcs. Uh, uh, what was that like for you, as far as taking an established thing that you were literally spending years developing and then tearing it down and and rebuilding it? Well, it was a little scary because I kept thinking, what if this gets canceled or something else changes right. and then it's just going to be hanging there? <laughs> you know? But to just do it. Yeah. Well, also as I got more secure with my process and needed to structure less rigidly. Mm. Now, the first couple of books had these huge outlines and it was very rigid in my structure. And as I got further into the series... I started writing with a much looser structure and and just kind of aiming in a particular direction and had a list of elements that I really needed to incorporate. And then I got to the end of, you know, that particular story and I'd say, okay, did I get all these little things in that I really have to have for the long arcs? If yes, go me. If no, go back and do it again. Rewrite. There and, you, go. you know, and so the, the process evolved and I'm a um, much more loose plotter now i'm sort of a pen slaughter plot dancer <laughs> hey i'm uh, gardening gardening weed pulling architect or something <laughs> that's fascinating because usually it's the other way around usually people come in as pantsers and then the demands of of the industry require them to become a plotter become an outliner to to work that that's fascinating and and are you comfortable in that in that new new role of of gardener well, I'm not entirely a gardener. I still have uh, uh, plot structures, but they're much more skeletal now instead of being really detailed. I and mean, the outline for Greywalker is, um, if I remember correctly, uh, 23 pages long. Wow. Yeah. Whereas the outline for book nine for Revenant is about six pages. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Put those side by side. That charts your development as a writer. How cool yeah. is that? That's that's a wonderful landmark, a, a, a line in the sand you can look at and compare and contrast how far you've come. That's that's inspiring. We'll be back with more of our conversation with Kat Richardson after this brief promotional break. I'm the first. The first of a new kind of human being the first and only true artificial intelligence. Not a huge fan of that term, though. I prefer not to use the term stranded time traveler. I am merely on an extended vacation. Against my will. Talking with normal people is almost impossible. I'm constantly on guard. What did you do over the weekend? I definitely didn't drink any blood. (laughs) I'd never do a thing like that. I mean, brother, when you crash your spaceship on Earth, you are pretty much shit out of luck. We don't need aliens anymore. Not when people have Twitter and YouTube and podcasts and Periscope and Voibox and Winger and heaven knows what else. I don't see the point in anyone living in the coffin. Right? Who benefits from our silence? Certainly not us. Look, I could take out this interview guy. I mean, I could, like, wrap this chain around his neck and kill him right now. Do you have any more questions for us? Well, I got a few, so if you want to hold off on wrapping around the... The chain, that would be good. This is Jared Axelrod. Join me on the voice of Free Planet X. 
where I interview aliens and time travelers, vampires and witches, advanced AIs and ancient monstrosities. It's This American Life for a science fictional universe, and it's only at planetx.libsyn.com. Now, let's get back to the conversation with Kat Richardson. I'm, I'm talking way too much. I'm going to turn the mic over to my co-host here. Uh, Heather, I know you got questions for Kat. What do you got? Kat, well, one thing I wanted to talk about is, uh, first of all, I wanted to congratulate you for the Grey Walker series being optioned for television. Sweet. Oh, thank you. Sweet! <laughs> also, um, I wanted to know if you'd heard any news on that. Uh, it happens that I have a friend who uh, knows one of the people who's on the development team and there's a lot of stuff going on but it's that kind of amorphous stage where you you can't really describe what's happening except that they are doing a lot of a lot of development right now and that's good so other than that i I can't say anything because i don't know Right. Well, they wouldn't be putting that much effort into it if they didn't plan on making it a reality. Yeah. So that's yeah. encouraging. That's very cool. Dude, I, I, mean, I just think it's really cool that I just happen to have a friend who went to school with someone who's uh, who's involved in this and it came out of the blue sky. She she dropped me a note saying, hey, guess what? I'm like, cool. <laughs> I saw your name on a development sheet that came across my desk. Holy crap. <laughs> it was, yeah, it's nifty. <laughs> Very cool. Very cool. Yeah, those those connections. Six degrees of, of Kevin Bacon, man. It just gets smaller yeah. and smaller. Mm, bacon. <laughs> bacon, yes. It's <laughs> Shameless tease. (laughs) That's awesome. You've been working on that. (laughs) Yes, I have. What else you got, Heather? Well, I I had a couple things about when you're working, when you're writing, do you drink or consume any kind of mind-altering substances or do you like to go in clean? And then also I wanted to know if and what kind of music you listen to when you work. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Uh, no, I don't uh, do the mind-altering substances while I'm working. Um, <laughs> my, my mind wanders a lot and is kind of weird anyhow. I don't <laughs> think it needs any help. <laughs> Not just, I'm always afraid it's going to wander off without me. I'll be running down the street going, I've lost my mind. Have you seen it anywhere? <laughs> if you've seen a small, gray, slimy thing running around, I mean, it's really dirty. If you've seen it, grab it. No, check under I, the I sofa. Kind of, yeah, check under the sofa. Maybe I should, you know, if I keep on trying to do things differently every time, maybe eventually I will. There you go. <laughs> but I, I wrote this entire book drunk. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> exactly. Well, I just, uh, I know that I'm undisciplined and messy, and I think that it would just make me more undisciplined and messy. Sure. What about music? Uh, I only listen to stuff without lyrics. Otherwise, I'll find myself typing down the lyrics instead. Ah, yeah, okay. All so right. do you go with like soundtracks or what, classical? Um, I've actually got a whole bunch of weird playlists on uh, iTunes. Ah. So my my iTunes, I have these weird little playlists. One of them is called General Writing. And another one says, boy, are we angry. And, <laughs> <laughs> and then there's one that, that says Oaxaca which was the one I listened to. It's all Latin music and uh, mostly from uh, South America and Central America. And that was the stuff that I listened to while I was writing the novella for Mean Streets because it was set in Oaxaca in Mexico. That is so cool. Yeah. And I've got a piece that's in the works right now and it's set in 1934 in Los Angeles. So listening to all of this, you know, music from the 30s. Yeah, just mood music. 
Really? Just 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 setting a mood for yourself. I think I think we really need to have a, a concerted effort to gather all of the playlists of all the writers out there uh, <laughs> and make just make that available to the world or at least, you know, reveal what you're listening to. Because because whatever you're listening to is going to be feeding your subconscious in some way, whether whether it's serving as a distraction to keep you focused or actually feeding the emotional tone that you're trying to to feed into your story it becomes almost a collaboration at that point mm-hmm. well i used to hang out with um, writers who were much younger than i was and a lot more kind of pop savvy i'm i tend to be a little bit isolated and they all made playlists for their books and listened to them while they were writing or they would put them out as sort of a gimme you know, here's, you know, the playlist for my book. Here's the soundtrack for my book. Wow. And I thought it was kind of cool, but it took more concentration than I had. Also, I, I tend to forget to go and listen to the radio. And so I won't hear anything new for like five or six years at a time. <laughs> so your <laughs> so playlist is all from the 80s. Yeah. yeah, or there'll be a big burst of something from all one year and, and then nothing else. <laughs> when you actually clued in to what was happening. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm with you. I'm terrible. I'm with you. <laughs> That's so cool. Does well, uh, watching TV cut into your writing time now that you have one, or are you still <laughs> disciplined enough to do what you need to do having that big tube there? Well, it's not tube anymore. God, I, I just right. aged myself, didn't I? There you go. Well, I still don't have cable. <laughs> so we have to watch everything on Hulu and Netflix. And so it's really limited. Uh, also, I have a, a rule of thumb. If you don't hook me by episode two, I'm not watching. There you go. Wow. Gotta have so standards. Brutal. Well, yeah, it drives <laughs> some of my friends crazy. They'll be like, oh, have you seen X? I'll say no. And, uh, oh, you should see it. Go and watch an episode and go, nope. Oh, but it's great. It gets great in the second season. Like, I don't have time to watch 16 or 18 or 32 shows or something before it gets good. Yeah, exactly. I, I, speaking of, of collaboration, I, I've got to ask, um, you are working on a project uh, that utterly fascinates me because I'm, I'm, I'm down with the shared world collaborative experience and you're working on something you described as a mosaic novel called Indigo where you and, and what, eight other, nine other uh, nine. Uh, authors, nine other authors, somebody writes a chapter and then passes it on to you and it's your job to write the next chapter and then you pass it on to the next person and round robin and, and <laughs> you're writing a story that way. Uh, you got to tell us about that. What is that like? Uh, well, first I have to say it wasn't my idea. It was Christopher Golden. Okay. And uh, two years ago, well, it'll be two years this uh, September um, at Dragon Con, a bunch of us were hanging out down in the bar doing what writers do, which was, you know, bullshitting and, <laughs> and drinking. And drinking, drinking and bullshitting and bullshitting and drinking and sort of like, you know, drinking and flying and flying and, and driving and, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> that was someone else's movie. <laughs> and uh, and Chris says, hey, I think we should all write a book together. And being drunken louts, we said, yeah, that sounds great. And uh, he spun some crazy idea. We all said, yeah, I'm in. So the first nine people who were crazy have crazy enough to say i'm in all got an email from him a few months later saying okay now you're on the hook oh damn chris wasn't as drunk as everybody thought he was <laughs> oh chris doesn't drink ah okay so, he was uh, sober <laughs> he yeah. took down names yeah sneaky tested yeah he was, he was but it's a great crew 
and we just got started on the the second round. So we've done the first 10 chapters, and we're just getting into the second 10 chapters. Chris developed a loose outline. I was going to ask. Got, okay. Yeah, we all got online and started talking. You know, what do you want to do? We want to do something that's kind of like uh, horror, superhero, dark stuff. And so it's about a woman named Indigo. And, well, that's her her superhero name, except she's not exactly a superhero. She's kind of evil in her own special way. <laughs> and bad things happen in New York City. And uh, we each took a chapter, and then we passed it on, and there's a lot of going back and forth, and it, it kind of got backburnered for a little while. And uh, I just got a note from Chris this morning saying, hey, I'm going to send it to you next week if you're ready. And I said, you bet your assets. That, that's <laughs> yeah. awesome. So, so you know, in, the, in those first chapters, you know, you guys have just had a, a, a light conversation uh, of a loose outline and a, and a rough idea of the protagonist. So, where were you in the in the sequence of that of that first round of ten? Well, due to some um, some problems I was having with another project, I had to push mine out. So, I believe, not one hundred percent certain, but I think I was chapter seven. Okay, so you only had six chapters to to derive the essence and soul of Indigo and her story. Uh, yeah. And six chapters from six different minds and perspectives. <laughs> that had to be uh, uh, both exciting and, and, and challenging creatively, but also a little weird to try and piece together, like you say, a mosaic yeah. of a character and then continue mm -hmm. the story. Yeah, well, not as weird as it might sound, because um, one of the things I did a lot of when I hung out at TTLG at uh, through the Looking Glass forums was we would do these kind of cooperative role-playing things where people would start to write, and then another person would write another piece, and so on, and we would go. And inevitably, things would start to fall apart, and I was the person who would always jump in, do a recap on who's where, what they're doing, and where where we seem to be going, and then I would just kind of take the reins, and I know, I know, power gaming, I'm a bad girl, and kind of kick them in the ass and make the characters do something, and then on way we, onward we would go. And so, uh, to a certain degree, I kind of got to do that with um, with Indigo, because when it came to me, it was right at a turning point. And I got to look at it and say, okay, if we're going to go over here, I want to make this turn, and that'll give us all these options. What do you guys think? And so, Chris and uh, James Moore, who was going to be picking up the next piece, and I all got on Skype together and talked about it and adjusted the the outline just a little bit in order to make you know, some of the stuff I was talking about happen because it allowed us to do some more stuff further down the line that would otherwise have, have been cut off. Okay. So that was really fun. So you guys were, at, there is conversation going on while this is happening. Uh, oh, it's, yeah. it's not just a blind, here's what you do and don't talk to anybody, just write your chapter and go. Okay, that, no. that, makes, a that makes things a little <laughs> more uh, uh, palatable, I think. Uh, so you can talk about what Chris is seeing and what the next guy is going to need to pick up. That's actually very courteous of you. Well, it was really fun because I, I wanted to, I was given a good piece and um, I, I know who wrote the two pieces right ahead of mine, just because I happened to recognize their style. And so I was really amped to get to write after these other two, immediately after these other two writers. And then looking at all the other stuff, even ahead of that was like, wow, this is really cool. Look at all the stuff you gave <laughs> me and I'm I love grabbing the threads and, and pulling them all together and and starting to 
you know, weave story and, you know, and move it. And so I, I had great material to work with. And then I was able to talk to both to Chris and to, to Jim and say, well, this is where we seem to be going. This is what I want to do. And gee, I hope you don't mind, Jim, but basically I'm just going to take this character and dump her in a horrible situation on a cliffhanger <laughs> at the end of my uh, my chapter. And you get to do with, you get to go from there. Yeah, He's yeah. like, yes. <laughs> awesome. I can do that. Awesome. I'm up for the challenge. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I interviewed uh, Lynn Abbey, who was uh, instrumental in the Thieves World series. And apparently yeah. there was a lot of that going on where people would take other people's characters and say, Ha! <laughs> get him out of this or get her out of this. And it was like, ah, curse you. It's, it sounds like it's much more in good fun with you guys. Oh, yeah. It was, it was very cooperative. The whole project was cooperative. Very cool. We all agreed to do it. We all wanted to do it. There was this huge excitement about getting to work with these people. Um, the list of writers is just amazing. We got like uh, Charlene Harris is in it. Wow. Um, Sean and McGuire is in it. Oh, awesome. Uh, Chuck Windig was supposed to be in it. He had to drop out. We've got Tim LeBon. We've got a, a bunch of just amazing people, and and my my super cool friend Sherry Priest. Uh, and yes. yeah, it's it just rocks. I mean, <laughs> parts we already saw, even in first draft, they were just rocking. I'm so excited about uh, this. We we you, you gotta you gotta keep us in the loop on this. When that comes out, that that's gonna be huge. Oh that's, yeah, that's exciting. Well. Look, Kat, I, I hate to say it, but a, a fog has rolled in and and the, the, the clock is lumbering out of the fog like some spectral creature from beyond the pale. Uh, uh, and it looks very pissed. So I can only assume Uh-oh. that once again, we have ignored the clock and extended our time as we are wont to do here. But ma'am, this this has been delightful. Thank you so much for coming on and, and sharing some very cool insights with us. We appreciate it. Oh, I, I was glad to do it. It's been really cool. Awesome. Well, Heather, let me ask you. Now, we just had 20-ish minutes of, of writerly discourse and fabulosity. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm curious, what's sticking in your mind? What, what through that last conversation, uh, uh, really stood out for you that you're going to uh, grab onto and maybe utilize uh, moving forward? Well, I really, I know we just talked about it, but I really liked hearing... <laughs> about Indigo and that whole collaboration, uh, the idea that you kind of have to set aside ego and collaborate with a lot of people seems like such a challenge, but Kat, you make it seem possible. <laughs> uh, obviously it is because you're doing it, but I know just even as a student trying to work with other people on a group project, sometimes you've got that one heavy weight that brings everybody down or something like that. But knowing that in a professional setting, that collaboration can be an enjoyable thing. <laughs> Even I, an aspiring I, I, thing. Yeah. I, I, I found that really interesting. Maybe, uh, maybe you'll stuttering. dive into that yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I really like the idea. But, well, you know, there's the whole everybody doing the one line thing to make a story and it never right. seems to come together. Yep. But doing it. Chapter by chapter, I, I could see that working so much better. Well, it gives you the opportunity to, to invest in, uh, to pick up the narrative stream from the previous chapter and and then run with it. It gives you something to work with. Those, those I agree, those those one sentence things never work. Uh, right. uh, but but that's that's awesome. And I agree. Uh, uh, and you know me, Heather. I'm all about the collaboration. So when I heard about that, I was like, oh, my God, that's brilliant. Uh, but uh, one of the things that and, and as much as I was going to twig on that, too, the other thing that really stood out for me was uh, uh, Kat's uh, attitude about 
challenging yourself as a writer. Uh, yeah. And that's, that is so hard to do, especially when you're starting out, I think. Uh, uh, because there's already enough insecurity with your own mm-hmm. ability as a writer to actually seek out more challenges other than your right. own, at least perception of inexperience or whatever it is that you believe you're you're confronted with. But really, when you look at that, uh, uh, if you don't do that, if you don't accept the challenge of the story in front of you and and the opportunity that represents not only to tell a good story but also to improve yourself as a writer then you're doing yourself and the story a disservice because uh, Kat pointed out you know sometimes she didn't do it so good uh, and that's going to happen but you learn from that too there is no bad writing Right. Uh, because if well, <laughs> sometimes the, you, people might look at something and say it's bad writing. Uh, uh, but that's 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 judgment. That's that's perspective. Uh, uh, Someone recently said you can't fix an empty page. Yes, exactly. You can't edit right. an empty page, and that's absolutely true. So so that that was inspiring to me, and and really called into into sharp perspective the the notion that every writing opportunity should be a challenge. And and yes. and embrace that and and find the joy in that and that I think makes makes writing fun. So very cool. Well, you know, it that, 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 I'm just thinking that kind of ties into music too. And I know that um, well, that's something Kat and I share. I'm a singer as well. So um, when you push your range, it yes. often is the best part of the whole thing because. <laughs> People see you reaching and and feel that emotion of you grasping for something you're not so sure about. And then actually, if you nail it, how rewarding that can be. Yes. Oh, yeah, that feels great. You know, you have that, yes, nailed it. Exactly. And when you watch a performer, you can see them hit that point. <laughs> and it's so exciting to watch. Well, and when you do that, it's no longer possible. You did it. It's reality, which means yes. you can do it again and again, and soon it becomes not your baseline necessarily, but a thing that you can depend upon. And then you you do it again with something else, and, and then you hit it, and that's real too. And that's that's yeah. the growth cycle. That's that's badassery. All right, friends, mm-hmm. you you guys are no doubt uh, uh, digging what we just been throwing down. Uh, uh, so here's the cool thing that's going to happen next. Uh, okay. We're going to come back in seven days, and we're going to bring back Cat. And we're going to bring back Heather. I, of course, will be here. And we're going to add into the mix a bold and courageous guest writer, a creative and courageous guest writer who will drop a cherry bomb of a story idea amidst all of this creative froth. And we are going to have a brainstorm that's going to rock the pillars of heaven, baby. Uh, But that's seven days. And I know that's a long damn time to make you wait. Heather... Uh, help our listeners out. What can they do between now and seven days from now to, to, to make that time just, just fly by? What else? Go right. Go right indeed, yes. Get your stories in the world. That's the best place for them. Not in your head, not on the page, out there. Write it down, put it out there, and let the world be enriched by it.
it. And I will tell you, friends, as I always do, you find what you're looking for. So look for the wow. Look for the, oh my God, I didn't see that coming. Look for the fabulosity. And if you seek it out, I promise you, friends, you will find it. We will be back in just seven days. Until then, you guys stay cool, stay frothy, and stay awesome. And we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. This episode of the Roundtable Podcast is copyright 2015 by Wonder Thing Studios and is released under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, share-alike license. That means please don't sell it, but you can share it to your heart's content. You can even use portions of it in your own productions, as long as you release those productions under the same licensing terms and reference us as the source. Theme music for the Roundtable podcast was performed by the Hepcats of Brotown, Gary Gold, David Labroyere, Billy Nobel, and Matt O'Donnell. If you would like to be a guest writer or guest host, join in on the conversation or just learn more about us, visit our website at www.roundtablepodcast.com. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash roundtablepodcast and on Twitter at Writers Podcast. And you can always email us at thetable at roundtablepodcast.com. Thanks for listening.